Almost 2 million people with disabilities in this country report never leaving their home. All Inclusive, a podcast on inclusion, innovation, and social justice with Jay Ruderman. Welcome to All Inclusive. I'm your host, Jay Ruderman. And on today's show, we will address self-driving cars. We all think of self-driving cars as a thing of the future, maybe akin to the Jetsons, but they are reality. They are being developed and they will become a reality in the next coming years. Self-driving cars can provide an unprecedented mobility so that many people with various disabilities can enter the workforce. In order to talk about transportation and sort of uh, broaden the issue of why it's so important for employment and inclusion and preventing segregation of people with disabilities, I'm joined by my guest, a program officer at the Ruderman Family Foundation, who has received her PhD in Applied Developmental and Educational Psychology from Boston College. I welcome Dr. Miriam Hyman, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, Miriam, let's talk about the big picture. Why is transportation such a big deal for people with disabilities? Well, I think you hit the nail right on the head when you said that this is an issue of civil rights and social justice. Um, Mitchell Ross, who is a transportation expert at New York University, has been quoted as saying that in New York, it is far more important to have a metro card than a college degree for economic mobility. Because as you pointed out, transportation is key to people's ability to get to work. And almost 2 million people with disabilities in this country report never leaving their home. Um, So this is an issue. Transportation is an issue about basic dignity and independence. Google is developing technology for self-driving cars now, and they offered a man in California with a disability a ride in a self-driving car. And the Google team was prepared for an exotic request. But yet this person requested to go to the dry cleaners and to go to Taco Bell. So really, this is about people's basic ability to get to work, to live their life, and to interact with the public. You mentioned like cities. So in Boston or New York or um, San Francisco or other cities that have major um, public transportation networks, some of them are more accessible for people with disabilities. Some are, are the, of them are less accessible. But those are in the cities. What about people in the suburbs and the rural parts of America and other parts of the world who don't have access to public transportation and in in essence are segregated. Yes, absolutely. But first, I think it's important to question that assumption that in big cities where there are these major transportation networks, that these transportation systems are actually accessible. But in New York City, the transit agency reported that within a three-month time period, In 2014, there were 2,646 elevator outages and more than 6,000 escalator outages. So even when there are these networks, we know that the the public transportation systems are not living up to that potential. And you're right that that that's exacerbated in rural areas where these public transportation systems are non-existent. Paratransit services are operated by cities and states, and they provide door-to-door transportation for people with disabilities in both 
urban and rural locations, but they don't give people the basic freedom to come and go as they please. You have to call and reserve a ride at least 24 hours in advance in many places. So people can't, you know, run out to the grocery store to buy a carton of milk. We're talking about basic dignity and and independence and freedom to come and go as you please. So do you see self-driving cars as something that's inevitable? So I think it's very possible that we'll get there. What I think is not inevitable is that the disability community will be included in the design to reach that point. Currently, the cost of retrofitting any car to make it accessible costs between twenty and $80,000. Meanwhile, people with disabilities are more likely to have lower incomes and live in poverty than people without disabilities. So when cars are designed from the beginning, from an accessibility standpoint, the, that cost, that twenty dollars to $80,000, is much, much smaller. And so the time to consider including a ramp or a lift system or including an auditory system for users who are blind is now. Local governments have considered laws which will require a licensed driver to be in self-driving cars at all times when the vehicle is in use. That would prohibit people who are blind, people who have um, epilepsy from ever benefiting from a self-driving car. Um, Luckily, the United States Department of Transportation has issued policy guidance stating the view that we should not require a licensed driver to be in the car. But this policy guidance is not binding. So we encourage the federal government to solidify its stance on this issue. But also the government needs to hear from the disability community. So we need to organize around this legislative issues and also to organize around our priorities for the design of self-driving cars to make sure that they are being designed with users with disabilities in mind. It's a big issue. It's an issue that's coming that could be a real game changer. Miriam, thank you so much for laying out um, the importance of transportation in terms of full inclusion and employment for people with disabilities. I think this made it much more clear to everyone listening as to why this is so important and why the disability community should be fully engaged as this technology Um, develops and is rolled out. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having me. You're listening to All Inclusive with Jay Ruderman. You can learn more, view the show notes and transcripts at rudermanfoundation.org slash allinclusive. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you are listening. So I'm going to welcome our second guest today, who is the Vice President of Autonomous Vehicles and Mobility Innovation at Securing America's Future Energy. He's one of the experts behind and a co-author of the Ruderman Family Foundation white paper, Self-Driving Cars, the Impact on People with Disabilities. He is joining us today from Washington, D.C., where he's working with government officials to address these challenges Amitai Benun, thank you for joining me today. Good afternoon, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So what are the obstacles to transportation for people with disabilities? Right. We're in a very exciting time now in transportation because new technologies, whether it's self-driving cars or 
innovations like Uber and Lyft have created new options for people to get access to transportation. And whether the, whether we're talking about people with disabilities uh, or the rest of the population, their change is happening very rapidly. And there's this offers the potential to address some of the obstacles to transportation that have impacted people with disabilities. And the people, the disabilities communities are very diverse. That encompasses many sub-communities, each of which have different obstacles to transportation. So if you talk to members of the blind community, they will tell you that they don't have the ability to drive because they cannot see the ride. Uh, For many wheelchair users, they may not have the ability, they may be able to use modified controls to drive a retrofitted vehicles, but those are very expensive. But then they also need to retrofit the vehicles to be able to store uh, store their wheelchairs easily. And when it comes to non-driving modes of transportation, like public transportation or paratransit, uh, there are obstacles there as well, whether it is the accessibility of subway stations or bus stops or the infrequency and and inflexibility of paratransit services, we're finding that across the board, people with disabilities travel less. It's more expensive when they travel. And this has a ripple effect on their ability to work, their ability to socialize, their ability to vote. So it's really exciting that transportation now has the ability to address some of those negative outcomes. So and this is a huge um, drag on our economy, participation in our electoral process, the buying power of people with disabilities. I mean, we're. I think we're aware of the major um, limitations of some of the public transportation systems in, in our country, elevators that don't work, subways that are inaccessible, buses that don't stop for people with disabilities or don't have the right technology to, um, to bring them into the buses. But let's talk about technology and your focus and how technology is developing to overcome these obstacles to make transportation more accessible for people with disabilities. So, let's I mean let's talk about some of the lower hanging some of the lower hanging fruit um, and some of the some of the innovations that are already on the road today and then a little bit about some of the innovations that are hopefully coming in the near future both of whom could use the engagement of advocates for the disability community with policymakers to make sure that these innovations come as quickly as possible and also come in a way that benefits the community and is inclusive as possible uh, to the community. Now, certainly, we recognize that Uber and Lyft are far from perfect and are not um, have not put in stringent accessibility requirements um, for their vehicle fleet, but both of those platforms have accessible services that increase the access of accessible vehicles to people with disabilities, and also for many members of the community. For example, many members of the blind community have told us that Uber and Lyft are godsends for them because as long as they can use, use an interface to summon the cars, they're able to get into them and go where they want to go. Now, this doesn't work for everyone. If you need a wheelchair accessible vehicle, those are harder to come by on the platform. But those have certainly made progress, and now there are more options and more accessible options. Some of the innovations in how we dispatch vehicles to where and when people need it are beginning to filter into the paratransit community. Lyft is working with some transit agencies to get some of their software onto paratransit scheduling. So instead of having to schedule paratransit 24 hours in advance, 
and having a one-hour window in which the ride may come. In some of these pilots, the lead-in times for requesting a ride are much shorter, and the windows in which they might come are narrower. So that's good news. That's, that's um, you know, that the private sector with Uber and Lyft are making uh, transportation more accessible for people with disabilities. But let's transition and talk about autonomous vehicles. Uh, Many people think of autonomous vehicles. I mean, they know that they're in the process. They hear about vehicles being developed, but but it looks, it seems very futuristic. When, when, when are they coming? I think we're already seeing pilot deployments of, of vehicles with no drivers in limited areas. Now, some of them are used as shuttles to get people from one location on a campus to another. So you could see that being very useful in a senior community or on a hospital campus or a military base. And those are actually already in pilot use. And in terms of getting to broader use, so where you could think about taking it from one place to, uh, to another, we're seeing the very earliest pilot deployments right now in Phoenix, Arizona. And, and my sense is that that is going to roll out and expand in cities across the U.S. over the next five to 10 years. And what about some of the legislation that has been sort of detrimental to people with disabilities in, as self-driving cars become more of a reality, saying, for example, someone who's blind you know, and, and does not have a license is prohibited from using an autonomous vehicle by themselves. How do you get around that type of legislation to make these vehicles more beneficial for um, people with disabilities who can really benefit from them? This is not a process that happens by itself. Legislation and regulation don't write themselves. And the the creation of laws and their impact on autonomous vehicles and on people with disabilities is going to be shaped by the groups that show up and make the case and argue for for how the, the regulation should impact people in their lives. And so we've seen, actually seen here in Washington, D.C., a lot of engagement by the disability community around self-driving cars. Uh, there are so many advocacy groups that represent disability interests from the National Federation of the Blind to the California Foundation. Foundation for the Independent Living Center have been really at the forefront of talking to legislators, talking to regulators about the promise of autonomous vehicles, both generally and then specifically talking about what measures in regulation or legislation would make sure that all that as many of the benefits as possible for people with disabilities would be preserved as these vehicles become a reality. So do you feel that governments are listening to the disability community and understanding the real need that that these vehicles can transform the lives and the and the economics of the disability community. I think there's there's certainly a recognition of that in many in in, in important policy circles. You know, the Department of Labor, for example, has a fairly robust initiative where they're looking at how they can use autonomous vehicles to help people with disabilities, safe co-hosted and online dialogue with them, which welcome members of the public to suggest ideas for policies and initiatives that could help autonomous vehicles benefit the disability community. And we took in ideas from dozens of people and put them before a panel of experts for comment and then presented it to the leadership of the, of the department. Will states continue to require licenses in, for driverless vehicles? And might that prevent people who can't get driverless licenses from getting into these vehicles? Well, in response to some of these concerns that were raised by advocates, 
there is actually a provision in legislation before the Senate that would say that states cannot discriminate against people with disabilities in the issuance of driver's license. That's an explicitly a line in legislation that's being considered in the Senate. And the reason why that's there is because advocates uh, showed up and said, this is something that's important. This is something that should be in the legislation. And, and that's what's there. So let's talk about some of these high profile accidents, uh, advocates of self-driving vehicles who've been out in the road and have been killed or hurt. And the media has made a lot of uh, put a lot of attention on these. How does that help the movement to move forward with self-driving cars, especially with people with disabilities? Does it set us back? Are these bumps on the road? How do you see it? You know, we absolutely believe that companies that are developing self-driving cars need to test them responsibly on public roads and need to take steps to ensure that they're not subjecting the public to undue risk by developing the technology. And from what we've seen, most companies in the space are responsible and are taking reasonable precautions and are being very thoughtful in their approach to putting the technology on the roads. That doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. And I think we need to be prepared for autonomous vehicles not to be perfect. They still can be much, much safer than today's than today's vehicles, where uh, you know we lost forty thousand people last year to to uh, vehicle crashes. Uh, we think autonomous vehicles have a huge opportunity to really reduce that number. And I think what we need to do is keep in mind the long game, what we're what we're trying to aim for. That we're trying to build a transportation system that's safer that's more accessible for people with disabilities, more accessible for people who are economically disadvantaged. And that's a goal worth investing in. And I think at the same time, we can do that at the same time as testing responsibly. And I don't see any reason why we shouldn't do both. And I think advocates who want to see this technology should say that we should push forward on autonomous vehicles while at the same time testing responsibly. Obviously, the benefits to people with disabilities who do not have access to transportation, especially if they're living in rural or suburban areas, can be life-changing. What more can the disability community do to ensure um, that autonomous vehicles are as beneficial as possible to people with disabilities? That's a great question. In the report that we did together with the Ruderman Foundation, we outlined three areas of action. One, for the disability community to take a more proactive role. And then we also offered specific recommendations to governments, both federal and state, and to industry. But I think for the community, I would say it's really important to advocate for, for yourselves. It's really important to express the importance of seeing the technology come about and express that it's going to be helpful to in your everyday lives. I think that is convincing to, to lawmakers. And I think there should also be, you should try to be as specific as possible in identifying policies that might be helpful to make sure that these vehicles are as beneficial as possible for the community, whether those are special pilots designed to see how autonomous vehicles can help with accessibility or uh, working to push back on states that might not allow these vehicles to operate without a licensed driver in them. I think the more input we get, I think the more effective it's going to be in changing the, you know, the mind of legislators and decision makers. So one last question, Amitai. In reality, how long is it going to take before you see 
autonomous vehicles driving on the road? So I think it's going to depend where you are and what it's used for. I don't think there's like a simple answer. Like in two years, they're going to be out there. It's not like they're going to like suddenly drop out of the sky. I think um, ready today, they're a low speed shuttle. So there's basically like think about like monorails with wheels that can drive around without a driver on it. And I think part of the work that needs to be done is thinking about creative ways to use the technology that's already available to be useful to people who don't have full access to transportation. The ability for cars to drive themselves will come little by little, area by area. And I think the more proactive communities are about bringing that to them, I think the quicker it will come. Okay. Well, thank you for being with us today, Amitai. It's been very informative. Um, Your insights uh, and the important work you're doing are going to be crucial, not only for the disability community, but transportation itself in in the United States and beyond. We all know that self-driving cars have the potential to revolutionize lives of so many. So we'll keep following your progress. And um, thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Jay. It's a pleasure to speak with you and looking forward to continuing to work together on this fascinating topic. Thank you. All Inclusive is a production of the Ruderman Family Foundation. Our key mission is the full inclusion of people with disabilities in all aspects of society. You can find All Inclusive on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. To view the show notes, transcripts, or to learn more, Go to rudermanfoundation.org slash all-inclusive. Have an idea for a podcast? Be sure to tweet at Jay Ruderman.